In our breakout and best-selling book, Looking for Angels, A Guide to Understanding and Connecting with Angels, Dr. Scott Guerin and I share how you can communicate with angels, understand signs from the universe and these celestial beings, feel at peace knowing you are always connected to source, and much more. Get your copy today at lookingforangelsbook.com, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or your local bookstore. And now you can even get the audio version narrated by me and Scott through Amazon, Audible, and iTunes. You are listening to A Psychic Story, a podcast that shares behind-the-scenes insights of people who lead supernatural lives among the ordinary. And I'm your host, Nicole Bigley. Join me every other Wednesday as I dispel the myths behind magic and lore. Welcome to A Psychic Story. Nicole Bigley here, and welcome to the first ever episode of A Psychic Story. In this episode, you will hear from the lovely Sonia Fitzpatrick, who is one of the world's foremost animal communicators. In addition to her multiple books and prior TV show on Animal Planet, Sonia has been a guest on Oprah, Live with Kelly and Ryan, to name a few, as well as done readings for celebrities such as Paula Abdul, Wanda Sykes, Mariel Hemingway, Ellen DeGeneres, and many more. Before we dive in, I wanted to share some context on why animal communication is not only important, but how it continues to evolve over our lifetimes. It's no secret that I'm a huge animal lover. I grew up with pets and couldn't imagine not having them in my life. They provide so much unconditional love. I became even more fascinated recently about the roles animals play in our lives when reading a new scientific study about how dogs became domesticated earlier than originally thought. It is now believed that dogs started to become domesticated somewhere in Europe and or Western Siberia some 32,000 years ago. That's 22,000 more years of domestication with dogs as initially thought. And while cats lived alongside humans for thousands of years before they became to become self-domesticated, the domestication process between dogs and cats is about a 23,000 year gap. Why is this important? The bond between people and dogs certainly strengthened over this time. The ability for dogs in particular to read human gestures is remarkable. Even our closest relatives, chimpanzees, can't read our gestures as readily as dogs can. Dogs are similar to human infants in the way they pay attention to us. Dogs are also the only species that, like a human child, actively seek out eye contact with people. Some dogs are so attuned to their owners that they can read a gesture from us as subtle as just change in eye direction. Canines also have the unique ability to pick up on how we are feeling through sense of smell. Similar research is being conducted with cats as well. This leads me to believe that whether you have a dog, cat, or other animal for companionship, our ability as humans to communicate with them may not be quite as advanced. They've been observing us and adapting to us and our lifestyles over thousands of years. Or is it that we just don't know how to tap into our abilities to communicate with them? Sonia Fitzpatrick learned in an early age how to communicate with animals, and it isn't as hard as one would think. In this episode, you will not only hear how Sonia discovered her communication abilities and how you can begin to tap into your own, she also picks up on topics my pets told her about me. So here we go. Hello, everyone. Thank you for listening in, especially this episode because you are in for a real treat. Today, we will be speaking with world-renowned animal communicator Sonia Fitzpatrick, 
Sonia is most known for her extensive work helping us humans better understand our relationships with animals and the crucial role they play not only in our lives, but the world itself. She is the author of three books, hosted a hit TV series on Animal Planet, and currently hosts Animal Intuition, a call-in radio show on Sirius XM that airs on Sundays from 5 to 7 p.m. Eastern time. I could go on and on, but I'd rather get straight to it. And so with that, um, please join me in welcoming the lovely Sonia Fitzpatrick. Hello, Sonia. Thank you and welcome. Hi, darling. So I first wanted to ask you how you're doing today. I'm doing good, darling. I'm surrounded by all my animals, so they'll be listening in too. That's great, because that's actually one of the questions I had for you is, what is it like having, I think I had read, nine cats, four dogs, a horse, and three frogs? (laughs) Well, it's just normal (laughs) to me. You know, I just love them all. And as you know, many people love their animals more than they love people around That is very true. That is very true. And I'd imagine that you, the conversations in your home are quite entertaining. Between them. Yes, they are. They talk to me. I, I, I have to go over to the other side of my brain when I talk to animals. So I'm not switched on all the time, but I always hear them when they have anything to say. Yes. And how do you actually hear them? Is it through voice? Yeah, people ask me that all the time. Uh, a lot of it is feelings and emotions because we're all transmitting out like radios and they pick up everything from us. If we're sad, they know it. If we're happy, they know it. And eventually, you know, our animals uh, that live with us get to know our language. So they, they actually know everything that is going on. They're all very smart. Cats, dogs, fish. As you said, you had some fish. And they all have, they all understand our feelings and emotions. And then do you think that that's because they just are pure forms of energy or the fact that they are just more in tune? What is the reason for that? I think it's because they live with us. They love us. They know how to communicate. And, um, you know, interestingly enough, I have raccoons and they don't know our language, but I can feel Hmm. their feelings and emotions. And I feed them every night. And, uh, you know, they're very sweet because they came the other night the mother with a baby just to show me I don't get close to them Aww. I they know That's that very I keep sweet. my distance right you're you give them their privacy and they know that they can trust you you know I always think it's good to respect animals you know when you meet a dog for the first time just don't go up and and pet it because dogs like to get you well all animals recognize through sense whereas humans recognize visually and some animals are fine with that but there are other animals that aren't so you're better just to leave them until they come to you if you go to visit someone and they have animals you know they they're all so different just like we are right yeah I have an Australian shepherd and she if I hadn't raised her from a baby you would think that she had come from a bad background but she's just very shy and a lot of guests that I have that come and visit me will you know feel bad like well animals love me and I say just ignore give her her space you know let yeah. you just let her understand that you're okay but she needs her space too it, just like you said every animal is different and it's just a level of respect that I think that we have to take into account for sure. Yeah, and congratulations on your baby because they know that, you know, she knows that and she feels that it's hers too already. And I always say to people, 
when you do have a baby, don't close the door on them. Let them come in and smell the baby and, and, and they, because they feel very, you know, they want to feel part of it. They don't want to feel isolated. And if you close them out, it really hurts their feelings. And, and also, they get confused with it too. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting that you pick up on that because I rescued my kitten about last August because my Pomeranian that I had, he was not doing very well. And I wanted my Australian Shepherd Mia to have a companion, but I knew that having another dog with everything was just going to probably be too much turmoil. And so she kind of didn't understand the reason why I got the the cat. And I had to explain to her, right, that you know, this yes. is another, this is another companion for you. You don't have to be the best of friends, but this is someone that, you know, you can have a relationship with if you choose to. So I'm glad that she recognizes that. Yes. And it's good to explain that to them, you know, and, and um, the cat said, sometimes she's nice, sometimes she's not. <laughs> That's very true. Well, I think she's trying to understand because her and my other dog were closely bonded. And so um, she's, you know, this is really more of her first interaction with having a feline, like a different species where the cat really wants to have a relationship with her. And she kind of is like, "Eh, I'm not sure. Sometimes I will actually play around with you and sometimes I won't. So they're working it out, but they're they're starting to get close. But it's interesting that you picked up on that. Yes, they do. And and they learn together too. Yes, they started to just recently, just recently. And that made me very happy because for a while there, it was complete avoidance, complete avoidance. Yes, that's right. They have to get used to each other. Mm-hmm. And some dogs, and some take longer than others. You know, some of them take much longer than others. And I find with my dog, I have three cats and I bought two new ones in. And the one that was 17 objected more than my dog does. She didn't like the fact that <laughs> some more cats came in. <laughs> right, well... And she knows yeah. I tell her she's the queen, and the other cats are really happy. Oh, and um, so They rub along together. They don't, they're not lovey-dovey, but they all rub along nicely together. And I think to myself, well, if they don't with me, they wouldn't with anyone else, because it's good to talk to them. And when you talk to them, see them behaving how you want them to behave because some people will say oh don't do that but you've got to visualize it as well um so that you see them getting on together and and and, you know they don't have to be nothing up to each other but just accepting each other and animals will do it too yeah and i mean you make a very important point that i think that a lot of people they just rush into sometimes getting pets and either don't necessarily um, give them the time and space or understand that it takes time, just like people, to work out relationships and build trust like that. They're very pack animals, cats Mm -hmm. and dogs. They love to be with people. And, you know, sometimes people leave their dogs in a garden all the time. And I think it's so sad. Why have a dog and leave it outside? And, you know, because they get very lonely. And also, they need protection from the sun and the cold. Yes, yeah. That's um, something that I think that we all need to be more cognizant of. I mean, they are pack animals, and that's the whole reason why we have them, you know, as pets, right? As domesticated pets. Otherwise, they would be wild animals. I would love to hear if you can, you know, start a little bit by sharing how you knew you had the gift of speaking with animals. Yes. When I was a child, I didn't speak until I was about seven, six or seven. 
and the animals taught me their language. And I didn't need to speak to people because I was talking to animals all the time. And they thought that I was deaf and dumb. My parents, obviously. I certainly was deaf. I do ha did have a severe hearing loss, which I still have. But fortunately, with modern technology, I have incredible hearing aids, so I can hear everything. So um, I was always talking to the animals. And then one day, um, there was a cow calf, and it was all wrapped up in barbed wire, and its mother was making the most, you know, so distressed. And I ran all the way back to my, to, we had a village store, and I ran and I said to my father, you've got to come, you've got to come. They couldn't believe that I was talking. And oh, after wow. that, they said I never stopped. <laughs> and my father came and, and cut all the wire off the calf, and, and you know, she was fine. But um, that's how I started then to talk verbally to people. And when your parents found out after you started speaking and even your friends uh, and you obviously shared, hey, I can communicate with animals, maybe not in those words specifically, were they open to it? And, and what were people's reactions? Yes, very, really. They were because they, when I started talking um, verbally, you know, I could explain and I could tell them I spoke to animals. And with the things I told them, it was accurate. And I used to have three geese. My father gave me some goose eggs and I hatched them out in those days. You had to hatch them out in an incubator. And they, I even saw them all pecking out of their shell and coming out. And I loved them. They used to come to school with me. And I used to do, my father had a shop, as I said, a village store, and he used to do newspapers. And I used to deliver the newspapers in the morning. And my dogs would come with me and the geese as well. And they were incredible guards. They, they, they guard you. They're very protective you and guard you. And then one day I came home and it was near Christmas and they were all hanging up dead from the rafters. And I was heartbroken. And it was, you know, after the war when food was still very scarce. And, you know, I never, ever got over that. And I still, you know, it still touches me now, years and years later. But that was heartbreaking for me. And then I closed down for a long time and didn't talk to animals in that special way. And then um, when I came to America, a friend of mine had trouble with um, her cat. They were tearing up the house and running up the curtains and destroying everything because they were young. And she said, oh, she said, I wish I could um, stop it. So I, I just said, I think I can. So I started talking to them and they stopped it. And that's when I started communicating with animals again. Yeah, I, can, I can't imagine um, having that experience. I as a child myself, I remember when I would be playing outside and people would step on ants or I would be in the playground and things would happen naturally, just like it does in life. But the sensitivity piece of it, of myself, my my parents were like, why are you so sad that these ants are dead or, you know, somebody stepped on a spider or whatever else. And I physically just felt so sad. Yeah, I know. Everything has a right to life. I stopped eating meat when I was young because of that, because I couldn't eat the animals. We, I, in those days, my father used to have land, and he used to keep pigs and chickens. And, um, you know, the chickens would supply eggs. And then when they were old, he used to kill them. And it broke my heart. I had names for all of them. And um, 
you know, I really suffered a lot in that way as a child. And I think a lot of people do. And there are many children that do talk to animals, as I did. But then when they get to school, their mind's full of other things. You know, they have to learn to do other things. Whereas when they're home, before they go to school, their mind's more, you know, it's not so full of all the things they're having to learn. But children, there are many children that do do it. Yeah, I think also, too, because, I mean, when we're born on this earth, we're so pure in our energy and we, you know, however we grow up and the things that we're taught by adults and parents can sometimes shut us down and we or um, we just don't become as open. We close it off also, too. Like if we have experiences like yourself or, you know, others um, that they might not understand because people can't relate. If people or parents have children that do exhibit and say, you know, I can communicate with animals or pets. Do you have any tips of how parents can help, um, you know, cultivate that and help encourage their children so they don't lose that gift or ability? They say it's your imagination. Well, it is in a way because imagination plays a big part in animal communication. And so what would what would you suggest that an adult would do if a child were to share that, um, you know, that they can speak with animals? I think to accept it rather than think, oh, you know, it's, you know, it's not real because it is. Imagination, without our imagination, we wouldn't create, create anything because in the beginning, my parents used to say, oh, it's her imagination. And I used to think, yes, it is because... I can hear everything. And to me, imagination is real. And if we didn't have that, we wouldn't create very much in our lives. Right. So that's basically just encouraging, having parents encourage their children to share their stories and to trust what they're feeling and seeing and to not be afraid to just share their experiences. That's right. That's right. And when, when you sort of say to a child, oh, that's ridiculous, um, to them, it's not. And it's confusing for them, too, because they're hearing all these things and they're talking to animals. And then someone comes and says, like, a, a, a parent, oh, you know, that's just your imagination or you can't hear them. It's very upsetting. But when they said it was my imagination, I thought, oh, they're right. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, it's, they do. And children, when they're very young, um, you know, they're very intuitive and they things stick with them. For instance, I know that if, you know, I have clients and sometimes their dogs are being gone when they're children and they never, ever get over it. And they want to know what their parents did with the dog and what happened to the dog because they live with that for the rest of their lives and they suffer with it too. Because when you're a child, you don't have any control over that. Do you also think, though, that it's also a soul connection too? Because in my mind, or at least when I was growing up as a child, I moved around a lot. So for me, my companions were the pets that were in my household because we would move very frequently. And I I think that there's a soul connection sometimes between children and animals because they just can relate on that basic soul level. And that is also why it sometimes can be a closer bond and harder for children when they can't understand what happens in the rest of the world in the bigger picture, right? Just impacts them a little bit harder. Children are very, very intuitive. Yeah, yeah. My um, my nephew, one of my nephews, he loves my um, black cat, Bodhi. He calls him black cat. And uh, 
a little side story is that when he, when I have two nephews, the eldest one, when he found out that his father was doing a business trip down to where I live in Atlanta, he started crying to my sister, his mother, that he couldn't see me, his aunt. And then the youngest was like, so he's going to actually go see Bodie Black Cat. And then he was crying, not because of me, but because he wanted to see the cat. (laughs) So they, you know, every, every um, child has, you know, different bonds and relationships, whether they're with people or animals. And I find that, you know, just amazing. And if we could just nurture that more between adults and children, we would be living in a, in a better world. I'm going to shift gears a little bit. And um, obviously you've dedicated your life to helping people and even organizations, you know, better understand the role that animals play in our lives and how we can better coexist, which I think is great. And I also love that you've done work with the ASPCA. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you've helped them in the past or how you've worked with them, um, especially from, you know, rescue perspective and just maybe share a couple examples. You mean for people to be able to talk to them too, because they are, I do seminars every so often and there isn't anyone that leaves my seminars without being able to, you know, I get them to talk to the animal from where we are and they usually get, there are very few that walk away that can't already do it. And they, they're surprised that it's so, you know, people try too hard sometimes and it's such an easy thing to just, and, and you can think it's the imagination, but the best time to talk to an animal, I think, is when just before you go to sleep and just ask it questions. Do you feel and sense? Pay, pay attention to your feelings. So, and also, when I talk to them, if you change the food, I can actually taste it in my mouth. You know, it's, and, and um, it's like, oh, some of them like fishy food, some of them like chicken food. You know, they all have um, particular tastes. And some some dogs, particularly some dogs, will eat anything and everything. They will. And other dogs are more picky. They're just so like people. Yeah, I was just going to say they just are like people. They're they yeah, have their own personalities are. and their own preferences and opinions. I'm sure. Yes, yes, you know, and and they're very good at you know tolerating discomfort. You know, if sometimes people get very upset when their dog has been ill for a while and they go to bed and they may pick up a tumor or they may pick up, you know, a problem with kidneys. And often cats, when they're older, get kidney problems, you know, because when we get older, everything's wearing out. And they get really upset at that, that they haven't recognized that. And, you know, it, it, it's just that they animals tolerate it so much better, discomfort. So if there's anyone out there that feels upset because they didn't know, you know, that they didn't do something about it sooner, you know, don't blame yourself because animals are very good at tolerating discomfort. Yes, I experienced that with my dog who had recently passed away. And I think that... Oh, yeah, it's always hard. It is. And and when dogs pass away, they're still around the other animals and they're still communicating. I talk to so many dogs in spirit. And which one of your dogs had trouble with its stomach area? Well, that would be Moss. Mossimo was my Pomeranian and he had a kidney and a heart condition. And towards towards the end, um, for about two years, I was giving him treatments and both of them conflict, as you know. So one treatment doesn't help the other. And towards the end, he um, wouldn't really eat. And his, so he was super hungry. 
And so I would make him steak every day um, because I really wouldn't give him red meat every single, you know, before um, I try to keep him on a strict diet. And so just so he would eat something. Yes. And, and you know, he, he liked it, he said. He said he liked it because you cut it up small and you always fed him on nice dishes. I did. I did. He that said makes... you, he always loved his dishes. He said and you were always kissing him on the head too. He loved that. And you talked to him face to face, he said. You'd always talk to him and he loved going in the car. He did. And my other dog, Mia, hated it. <laughs> I didn't understand. I... <laughs> he said, I used to make people smile, he said. He did. I'd be in the car and they'd stop at the, those things that went all, all colors, meaning the traffic light. Yes. And he said, people would all smile at me. Yes. I could always make people smile, he said. Yeah, we had a rule. I told him that he needed to lay down and sit down to be safe when I was driving. But then when I stopped at a light, then he could sit on my lap or he could go out and I would roll down the window so he could look out. But then once the start, the car started again, he had to lay back down. And he did. He did that for about 13 years. He was he listened very well. Yeah, they, they love it. You know, some dogs hate it. Some dogs mm-hmm. love it. They yeah. love being with us all the time and they love going in the car. Yes, they do. Who had a white car? That's mine. Oh, he loves that car. They love that car. Yes, that's the... They said you do too. I do too. I love it. I, I love that car. Yeah, they said you keep it very clean. I do. <laughs> I keep it very clean just like my house. <laughs> <laughs> they love going in that. They said, and could you take them for more rides, please? Even my dog Mia? Because she hides in yes, the back. She said, I, I like to go. I don't like it too much. What... what um, I, I found it interesting because there was one lady that put dark glasses on her dog when, and it used to get nervous of the traffic that went past. You know, they get nervous sometimes because it's moving quickly or if it overtakes. And, you know, it really helped that dog a lot. Okay. Yeah, because I um, always would feel bad. I wouldn't take her as often because she would just hide in the back or on the ground. No, because some dogs just don't like the feel of it. Right. But she, but she still would like to do more. They don't like the feel of seeing everything moving. But dark glasses help this dog tremendously. Well, I will try those dark glasses on her. Yeah, try it and see. I absolutely will. And see how it goes because it really works, you know, with this lady. And then I've told other people about it and it's worked for them too. So, and that actually brings me to another question because I, I've adopted and I've also, um, you know, purchased animals as well, just depending on how I feel if I'm bonded. I know a lot of people say, you know, adopt, don't shop, but how do you feel if someone decides that they want a specific type of breed, you know, one that's like hypoallergenic or something else like that? Do you, I mean, obviously I would, my opinion is always adopt would be preferred, but do you have a strong opinion if somebody purchases an animal? Yes. People, People often go for the same type of dog. If they have one German Shepherd, they're happy with it, so they'll go and get another German Shepherd. And then there are other people that just will go to the pound and save a dog's life or a cat's life. You know, everybody is so different. German Shepherds are highly intelligent, as all animals are, but German Shepherds and my Ridgeback is too. I have uh, have Ridgebacks, and he knows everything that I say. But, you know, I think you have to take, when you're purchasing a dog, I think you have to think if you're living in a small apartment, you know, go for a smaller dog. And if you have a bigger house and a good yard, you know, you can have a, a, a larger dog. And, and um, you know, it's got 
more freedom, but always walk your dogs because there are just some small dogs that don't like to walk. But the majority of dogs, they need to be walked. And I find when there's a lot of problems in the home, like they tear up the house, is usually because they haven't had that walk every day. And dogs do need a good walk every day. They love to smell other scents of dogs. When they're smelling the scent of other dogs, they can read a lot. It's like them reading a letter. When they're sniffing, they can tell a lot about the dogs and the, and the scent of the dogs. So it's always good to walk dogs every day because it gets them out. You imagine how you'd feel if you were stuck in a yard and a house right. all the time. You know, they get depressed just like people do. My parents have three German shepherds and they have a big yard, but they're in the process of retiring and they don't walk the dogs as much as they should. No, no. And which is the one that has leg problems? Well, one of them is very large. He should probably be about 120 pounds, Atticus, and he's 140. Oh, he is big. He's right back leg aches sometimes. He does, okay. Yeah, they they need that. You know, they really do need to walk, and particularly big dogs like that. Yeah, especially German Shepherds, like you said, because of their intelligence. I will definitely be passing that along to them. <laughs> yeah. Yes, even if they get dog walkers, it makes such a difference to them. And they need the exercise, big dogs. Like, people need to exercise when, you know, I I don't always feel like it. And I think, well, no matter what, rain, hail, or whatever it is, I take my dogs out for a walk. Um, One of them, I have to put a raincoat on because (laughs) it doesn't like the rain. But, you know, they do need that exercise, and they need you know, they come back and they'll they'll flop down and go to sleep, you know, and they love it when they exercise regularly. There's just the odd small dogs that don't like that. They like to be carried. Yeah, (laughs) yes, and people will often carry them a lot too. You know, most dogs need exercise. And it's good for us too. I always say to my dogs, "I, I wouldn't be as healthy as I am if it wasn't for them. That's very true. You just feel, oh, you've got to take them for a walk and and I've always, you know, in England, people walk their dogs all the time, you know, and I was used to dogs being walked. And I was surprised when I came to America that some dogs didn't get walked. So, you know, I always say to people, well, you know, do it. Get out. It's good for you. You're, you're keeping yourself healthy as well as the dog having, you know, really sort of being able to, to, to go into a natural habitat and smell the grass and the trees and and other dogs sense, you know, that's what dogs love to do. Well, it's also mentally stimulating for them in addition to the exercise. Like you said, they smell the different scents and it's a way of them of communicating and getting um, awareness of their surroundings. So it's both physically and mentally stimulating and exercises them. And the other thing you have to be really careful about is vaccinating every year. Um, there's a wonderful vet that taught me this 18 years ago, Dr. Marty Goldstein in New York. And vaccinations every year can kill dogs. So you really need to be gened up and, you know, about it. More vets are getting knowledgeable about that today. But um, I had a lady a couple of weeks ago and she just had a very small dog. And uh, two days after the vaccinations, it was three years old, I think. Yes. And it died. So you have to be, you really, you know, need to look into that thoroughly. 
I don't back that. that once my dogs have had vaccinations, when I learned about this and my cats, I had two cats, one that lived to 20 and one that lived to 21. And my big dogs have lived a lot longer, you know, because bigger dogs don't always live as long as smaller dogs. And I had a rescue, Sammy, and he lived to be 20 years old. Wow. That's very old for a big dog. Yeah. Because people often think, oh, they're doing the best thing for them. And then, you know, they're not. And Dr. Marty, he's got, if you look him up, you'll see on his website about that. Dr. Marty Gold. I will I'll look that up and anyone else that's listening, Dr. Marty Goldstein. And does he give recommendations on like actually when to vaccinate or does he say not to do it at all? Well, he, he does, he does the tightest test, you know, because you can have that to see if the, if the vaccine is still in the blood. So I do that every year and it is, it's amazing how it stays in. So if you do the tightest test, you can find out whether it's necessary or not. That's really great to know because, you know, I had a pet that was extremely sensitive to shots and vaccinations and I intuitively just felt like I didn't want to do that. But then also sometimes we're legally obligated, like with rabies and all those other things, you know, so I was very much torn. That's right. You know, and it obviously... If a dog is prone to biting, there's so many dogs that are sweet and gentle and wouldn't bite anyone. But if it is, it's worth doing it because you're in big trouble. And if they do bite someone, uh, you're you're in big trouble for it too. So you have to you have to do. That's why if you take the do the tightest test every year, you see that the vaccination is in the system. Well, I love that tip. I'm definitely going to do that now with both of my pets for sure. Um, every year instead of just going through it and giving them the shots just to give it to them. I, I love hearing that tip. So um, another question for you. Have you watched A Dog's Journey, the movie? Okay, so it's a very popular movie right now. I have not watched it myself either, but it follows the journey of a dog who um, through various lifetimes and reincarnation to ultimately return to one of his human owners um, that he had formed a very strong they bond that. with. They do, okay. Animals reincarnate a lot. Yes, they do. There's, I've had one of my dogs back three times in this lifetime. And, uh, and it was interesting because this dog was thrown out, of, one of my rescue dogs was thrown out of a car. And the little boy came up to a house. He picked the dog up and he said, he, he got this dog in his arms, a small dog. And he said, Mummy won't let me keep it, but I know you keep, you've got a lot of dogs. And I said, yes, I have. And I took the dog in and my daughter said to me, that brew come back, which was one of my ridgebacks. And when I, a week later, his hair, they always have a ridge down the middle of the back mm-hmm. and his hair light and he's got the same curl. He hadn't got a really even curl brew when I had him at the top and it was exactly the same. So I knew that he's reincarnated back to me. And he had his own personality, but he did so many things that Brew used to do. Yeah, I, I I don't want to watch that movie just yet. I think I have to be in the right mental headspace for I it. I watched that. <laughs> I, I'd like to watch yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, watch I'm definitely going to watch it. Um, I just have to be in the right mental headspace. But it's good to hear that they do that because I've heard various, you know, feedback that pets will reincarnate, but not it's not as often and then it's very rare. But I feel differently. I feel that... Um, 
you know, if they're, they make different decisions, of course, but I do think that they can come back to us. Yes, they can. And I, I, one of my clients, and I put this story in the, one of my books, he said to his um, daughter and son-in-law, when I die, I will come back as your dog. And wow. I want you to give me steak every day. And you know, when, when um, after he died, they got another dog and they knew it was him. And they said, we gave him steak every day. He said, they said, and he was so smart and so intelligent. <laughs> said, and it's like a feeling you get. It's an awareness you get. Correct. It's an awareness when you know that you've got a dog back that's reincarnated. You're aware of certain things, certain idiosyncrasies that are like the dog that's passed over. And a lot of people recognize that. They'll say, so like my old dog, not realizing that that old dog has reincarnated back to them. Yeah, that's just amazing. That's amazing. Isn't it? It is. It is. Life is amazing isn't it? in many, many ways. It's just, and animals, you know, I think sometimes, gosh, I don't know what I'd do without animals. I've never been without, without animals all of my life. I've had animals with me. The same. And they're such good company. You know, whenever we walk through the door, dogs are so happy <laughs> to see us. You know, if we've only been out for five minutes, it's like, oh, you know, my mum's back. And, and they're so happy to see us. And they appreciate so much, you know. I mean, you can tell a lot from their body language. Yeah. And I think we can all take a page out of any pet we have, but their book, you know, book, right? Because they're so grateful and they live in the moment and the experiences that they give us in terms of unconditional love for me, has really helped frame my way of thinking more where I want to be more present and I want to get out of my head as a human, right? I've always said we're human beings, yes, but we're we're actually spiritual beings um, having a human experience and they are spiritual themselves. Um, and it's just fa- fascinating to see. They are and so appreciative with us. You know, they appreciate us so much. And as I said earlier, some people love their animals more than the people around them. And they're more lovable, aren't they? Yeah, I might be raising my hand on that one too. <laughs> except <laughs> except for except for a few people. That's like why they probably have all those bumper stickers and t-shirts. I'd, you know, rather um, be with my dogs. Yeah, I had a client and, and the dog told me, my mom loves me more than she loves my dad. And the client said, you bet I do. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, it's actually, it's, it's really made me feel good. I fostered a dog uh, just for a couple of weeks. He was a, they think he was like a pit bull and I won't get into the backstory of it, oh, but I his, love them. they're such sweet dogs, aren't they? They are so sweet and so misunderstood, I think, just based on stories and, and how people have treated them in the past. But Anyway, I was fostering him. I just felt very compelled to do it. And at the time I had two cats, two dogs. I'm fostering. I'm living in a small place, but I just was like, I can't have him go to a shelter because I know that he it's he's going to not necessarily make it. And so I only had him, I had him less than two weeks. He was the most loving, cuddly dog. And a woman ended up um, adopting him through another friend of mine. And it was her first dog ever. And I was a little worried because she was a small, teeny little petite woman and here's this big dog. And she's like, you know, even I had to teach her how to walk him. She'd never walked a dog before. And she had a, a boyfriend, a longtime boyfriend. And she told him after like two weeks of just having the dog, his name is Gus. And she said, if we get married or if even when we stay together, and we don't get married. If there's ever a decision made, it's the dog over you. Do you know that's very important too <laughs> that you brought that point up? 
because I think if one of you loves dogs and one, one of you doesn't, you know, it's very hard for, for you if you love a dog and, you know, if your partner doesn't love it and doesn't want one, it's really hard. So before you get married, make sure if you're a dog lover you or a cat lover that you marry someone that can accept them. Or that somebody that understands where your stance is and you're not going to get rid of the pet because a lot of people do do that, you know, even when they have children and things. So And I, you know, I think it's nice for children to grow up with a dog or a cat, you know, they appreciate them and, and they learn how to treat them too. Because children can be quite hard on animals. You have to be careful and you have to, you know, they can, they can jump on the dog and sometimes then the dog will bite because it's the only form of defense that it has. And those that dogs end up going to the shelter or being put to sleep. Yeah. To respect animals when they're very tiny, of course, they don't understand that, but you just have to be careful. And if it, if you have got a situation like that, then give the dog a bit of space and let it get in, go in your bedroom and close the door, you know, so that it can, that the child doesn't, you know, keep on irritating the dog. Right. I think you have to have respect for your dog. And if children do overdo it, you have to let them know that's not a thing to do. Well, and I would think too, just like you said, talking to your pet and letting them know that a baby or a child is coming in this world and that things are going to be a little chaotic in the beginning and they may be a little bit rough, but be patient. And then it's almost like you become a mediator between them. And then as the child learns and then hopefully the bond is formed, then everyone can happily coexist, right? That's right. And when you talk to them, you know, you're talking to animals, always put out the right See them doing what you want them to do rather than what you don't. Otherwise, as I said earlier, that will confuse them if you're telling them, you know, to behave well and seeing them fighting with another dog or being abusive to another dog. Because you always get some dogs that are very bossy with other dogs and they can make that dog's life a misery. And you have to let them know. And there's a, a pet controller that you can get. It's a little spray can and it's called Quitty. And if you spray it, sometimes the noise alone will stop barking, you know, and all the bad habits they have. It's a great training tool because if they, some box dogs bark an awful lot and drive their human companions nuts. If you get this quick, you just spray it. You don't have to always spray it on them and just the noise of it distracts them and, um, if they don't, then just spray it on their back end. Then they'll start associating what they're doing with that spray and they'll stop it. And you said it's a spray called Quit It, like Q-U-I-T? If you go to Petco or Pet Smart, mm-hmm. ask them where the spray is to stop, stop barking. Mm-hmm. And they'll show you where it is. But it's called Quit It. Okay, great. Q-U-I-T, Quit It. And it's a wonderful training tool. If you've got a young dog, you know, the front because they you have to train them. I I always, you know, I always train. If I have a young dog, I always train it myself, making it sit and stay. And if you're not good at that and making them walk to heel, Bark Busters, there's a, a franchise called Bark Busters, and they're fabulous to teach you. They'll take you out and tell you how to do everything and teach you, and they'll stay with you. I think you pay a one-time price. And then they'll do it as long as they can. They'll do it until they've got the dogs really trained and you understand how to handle that dog and train that dog yourself. 
and then they leave. But it's an incredible organization. Oh, wow. I had not heard of them before, Barkbusters. I'll have yeah, to do that if yeah. the next time I adopt um, another dog. And, and some people, you know, they're very good with their dogs, but they're not so good at training them. And sending you away for training, I always think, you know, okay, they come back, but you don't know how they've been trained and you don't know what methods they've used. Whereas with Barkbusters, you go with them and you learn how to handle everything with your dog. That's what I like about it. Yeah. I know a lot of people that will send their dogs for training and exactly what you say happens and they give you like a crash course of here's what we've done and they give you the commands, but then they go back into an environment that if you are not consistent and you haven't been there to see the progress, then it's very hard to apply it. Yeah. And and you have to be consistent. You don't have to let them get away with things that that annoy you or upset you. You have to be consistent. Being consistent is very important, as you know. Oh, yes. Consistency is key, I feel like, with both children and with pets. Well, actually, any any um, human being, right? And any for a fur child. Um, in your book, The the Pet Psychic, What the Animals Tell Me, which I have, and I have a signed copy, which I feel very honored, you share how we can be more attuned with animals and communicate with them. And I also know that you offer a seminar or an online course where you give various guided visualizations through meditation and other things. But for the listeners listening to this episode, what are some tips that you would want to share and or what are like your top ones that we should all kind of keep in mind as we are communicating with our pets? Yes, you will start to get things back from your animals and it will feel like your imagination, but trust it. Mm-hmm. That's the thing to do, trust it. And acquire, and you can they can communicate with you when they're fast asleep too. You know, if they're sleeping, they can still communicate. Whereas we don't. Oh, really? I didn't. I didn't know that part. They still communicate. You can talk to them when they're sleeping, and they'll understand what you're saying. I often do. You know, when I've got a dog. Why is that? I I think it's the way their brain works. The way their brain works. That's what I think it is. Because when we're asleep, we're dead to the world. Mm-hmm. True. <laughs> true. Yeah, we are. But they can understand. Actually, understand us. When, we, when they're actually in sleep state, that's one thing they've got on us, animals, dogs and cats. Yeah, and maybe that, I mean, like you had said earlier, when you are going to bed or you're going about to go to sleep, if your pet has been in sleeping in the room or beside you, because they can communicate when they're sleeping, they're in a very relaxed state that's zen. Yeah, so that's probably like why you had made that recommendation. But that's great. Okay, so one tip is trust your imagination. And also when your pet is sleeping, that's another opportunity because they can receive your communications when they're asleep, whereas we don't necessarily have the same ability as humans. What other things? That's right. They, they, and they pick up so quickly. They, they pick up from us. They're very sensitive. And you can talk to them, uh, you know, sort of a thousand miles away and then hear you because it works through magnetic field lines. We have magnetic fields running through the body. We have a certain amount of electricity running through the body. And we just connect with the magnetic fields that run through the universe. So you can talk to them. You don't have to have them there to talk to them. A lot of people will say on the phone, oh, I'll bring my dog, dog in. I say, don't worry, because you can talk to them and they can pick it up from me. 
electromagnetic field lines. That's how birds fly thousands of miles. You know, in England, they go out for the winter to a hot climate, then they'll come back in the summer. I used to have swallows. I had an old farmhouse in England that I lived in, and um, they had outbuildings and barns, and the birds would start to come back every summer when when the weather changed. Mind you, it's cold in England, even in the summer sometimes. But they would, and I'd wait for them to come, and they'd arrive within two weeks. You'd get some come, and then the others came, and they'd come back within two weeks. And they used those magnetic field lines to feel their way. Yeah, it's amazing. And when you say that you can communicate with your pets or animals from miles away. Yes, everybody can do it. Do you speak to them out loud? Is it, do you visualize? You know, you can speak to them telepathically just by thinking things. And, you know, you can think about it and you can talk like um, non-verbal communication. And they still pick up from you. That's amazing. Yeah, we can't do it. Well, <laughs> we, I can do it. But, and other people can, can if they've got the awareness, they'll understand and they can do it just as simply as I can. I mean, people say, God, how do you do this? And it, it's so easy. It's so simple to talk to them. Yeah. Just by thinking and feeling and using visualizations and feeling the emotions. And as I said earlier, they... Our, our domestic animals get to know our, um, you know, get to know our language. And I think it's exactly that. What you say is the imagination part is that it's not our imagination. We just need to trust our gut and go with it and know that we can communicate with pets. We have been and we've been communicating with animals on a level for several thousands of years when you look back to when dogs were first domesticated and we've lost a little bit about of that as we've grown away from just coexisting and you know being more connected to technology and other things that's a whole another topic we can talk about in another day but um so well thank you so much thank you i really enjoyed yeah i enjoyed our conversation as well before we close is there anything else you'd like to share or anything for the listeners out there any other tips you would like to provide Well, I think just, you know, when you are with animals, like people, some of them are a little slower at understanding things than others. And you just have to be a bit patient if you have an animal and be very clear that you put your visualization with what you're saying, the right visualization by what you're trying to tell them. Visualize it and see them doing what you want them to do rather than what you don't want them to do. Kind of like if you have a dog that can be aggressive when you're walking it and you tense up and then you immediately think of the dog barking and at the other dog because that's been the pattern. Yes, I had a client. Yeah, I had a client whose husband, it never happened with the dog, but with the lady because she was always worried that it was going to go for another dog. So the dog picks that up from us and it does what we don't want it to do instead of what we do. So what we would do in that situation is we would think of the dog just walking perfectly fine by the dog, maybe sniffing, being more social and engaging and not visualizing it because the dog is picking up thinking that that person wants them to respond, the dog to respond in that manner. Yes. And I, I had another um, thing happen. We ha- I had one lady who called me and she'd had two dogs for eight years and they'd never got into a fight. 
and they got into this terrible fight where she had to take them both to the bed. They torn each other up pretty badly. And she just wondered if I could find out what it was. And I asked them, and I suddenly felt this sort of, um, round my neck, I could feel some a chain or something different round my neck. And one of them had, had a, a, a gone in some competition and won this, like, necklace. It was like a gold color. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and the other one hadn't got one. And it was three weeks or six weeks, I can't remember exactly, before they got into this big fight. So they are brewed over something for a long time. And then they get into this fight and she didn't understand what it was about. So she said, what can I do? I said, well, what you have to do is when dogs are like this, you know, sometimes dogs couldn't care less. <laughs> the dogs <Right>. can. <laughs> Just whenever you buy something for one, buy it for the other. If you change a collar, Give the other one a collar. Don't ever do just one thing for that one dog without doing it for the other. And about well, 18 months later, she called me and she said, Sonia, it just works. They've never had another fight. I said, yes, that's it. It's a, she said, I wouldn't have thought they'd have noticed it. I'll tell her, well, some dogs couldn't care less like people. Right. But other dogs can. Mm -hmm. So you, if ever anything like that happens, you, it gives you an idea. Let's think about this. What did I give to my dog that I didn't give to the other dog? And I had two cats. One was on a special food and the other wasn't because it had kidney problems. So the lady put it on special food. And the other cat was very annoyed about it, <laughs> annoyed with its mum actually, and turned its back on its mum all the time. And she couldn't understand it. She said he was so affectionate and he was so annoyed about this cat having different food. I said, so when you feed the other cat, give him just a little bit to eat. He was fine then. He just didn't like it because the other cat had a different food to him. <laughs> they get annoyed about all sorts <laughs> of different things at times. And that's what it was all about. Then he was very affectionate with his mum again. That's amazing. I mean, it's just, again, like children that you treat children equally. You wouldn't give one child a lollipop and the other one not. Yes. Right. Yeah, so if anyone has problems like that, just look into what you've done for one <laughs> and not the other. And, and you could have five cats and, and, and three of the others wouldn't care, you know, and then you get one that does. And, you know, they're different, just like people. <laughs> and you just have to work out why, but don't, it doesn't, they'll brood on it sometimes for a while before they do it. So, you know, just know that it isn't, think back when it started, you know, what happened, what you've been doing or what could have happened. And then you can work it out. And so after that, when they both had the same thing all the time, the same collars, the same bowls, the same food, they were fine. You just balance it out and you treat them equally. And to your point, some may care and some may not. But you know what? You might as well just be proactive and get ahead of it, right? Yeah. And not have to worry about it the other way around. That's right. And then you'll get another dog or cat that couldn't care less what, as long as it gets fed. Right. And, it, you know, <laughs> it's okay about it. But it's, they're just so different. Well, you know that. All the animals have different personalities, all of them, just like people. Yeah, they certainly are wonderful. And... Well, again, thank you so much for joining and sharing your story and perspectives, yes, and guidance on how we all can become more aware of the importance of animals play in our lives. And, you know, for those interested in finding out more about Sonia Fitzpatrick, you can go to www.soniafitzpatrick, that's S-O-N-Y-A-F-I-T-Z, P 
P-A-T-R-I-C-K.com. Or you can also tune in to her Sirius XM call-in radio show that airs each Sunday from 5 to 7 p.m. Eastern time. And again, Sonia, thank you so much. It was certainly a pleasure speaking with you. You have a fantastic rest of the day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You too. To recap this episode with a psychic story, one, we all transmit energy and animals pick up our feelings and emotions through sense. Two, the best way to communicate with animals or your pets is to visualize how you would like them to behave in your mind. Three, if you have children, encourage their imagination when they say they can talk with animals. They are more in tune than we are as adults. Four, don't try too hard. The best time to talk to an animal is before you go to sleep. Ask questions, then pay attention to what you feel and sense. Five, animals can receive information from us and understand while they are sleeping. Six, we, human and animals, connect via magnetic lines. So you don't need to be in person in order to communicate with an animal. Seven, trust what you're feeling and your imagination and don't be afraid to share your experiences. Eight, before vaccinating your pets every year, ask your vet to conduct a titer test to see what it is in their systems. Most often vaccinations are still in their system and they may not need it each year. And finally, be patient when communicating with your pet and may take some time, but it will happen. Thank you for listening to A Psychic Story. Please be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode and join the conversation on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. All episodes are free on your favorite podcast player or at a psychicstory.com.